Today's guests serve as brand manager for eBay in the clothing and shoes and accessory group. And today, she is the CEO of Fred Siegel as they're getting ready to take over the world. Ladies and gentlemen, Alison Samek. Hi, how are you? I'm doing very well. What have you been up to? Uh, not much. It's a pleasure to be here. I am um, enjoying my summer. It's been interesting so far. My kids are both away at sleepaway camp. They're nine and 12 years old. So my husband and I have had the house to ourselves for the last week and a half, which has been completely unique and honestly quite enjoyable. A little odd though, right? Don't you think? I have kids as well. So when you don't hear them, it's almost like something's wrong. It feels like something's missing. Um, I'm enjoying the peace and quiet, but it definitely feels different. I'm very curious to know more about you, your life, and everything else you've been up to. You have had a very successful career. How do you get to be the CEO of Red Seagull? Well, um, it's not a direct path. It was definitely a, um, a road with some forks in the road along the way. I, um, I can tell you a little bit about my career path the, from you know, kind of college on. But um, I started, I always knew I wanted to do something in retail. It was what I wanted to do. We, even when I was very young, probably starting around 14 or 15 years old. Um, but I also really loved business and I loved math. Um, so in, in college, I majored in economics and studied some fashion design as well. And after college, I went and did retail consulting for Deloitte Consulting out of Chicago. It worked really hard there. Uh, I always say that was sort of where I got my my legs wet, my feet wet, uh, worked around the clock for three years, went back to graduate school, and then managed the clothing, shoes, and accessories, the marketing piece of the business at eBay. And so that was sort of my first job postgraduate school, combining um, what I had learned in the consulting world with what I was doing on the um, business side, and spent three years there, and then wanted to move down to Los Angeles and my husband was moving down for his job, and I found a job um, in Los Angeles working for a retailer called Ron Herman, who is a retailer who has a store, and his main store was at the Fred Siegel Center on Melrose, and had other stores called Ron Herman as well. And I started there to build his website for him. This is back in 2004. And I, I didn't think I would be there very long. I thought maybe just a couple of years, build the website and kind of move forward, and ended up staying almost 11 years. I left there in May of 2016 and had no idea what I wanted to do next and thought I actually thought I wanted to sort of retire and take time off and, and not really work very much anymore. Um, ended up taking off the summer and the opportunity for Fred Siegel came along. That's an interesting story too, but um, but anyway, that's how I, I ended up here. But it was definitely not a clear path. I um, took some jumps around beforehand. How long now have you been with Fred Siegel? So I've been, uh, this October, uh, November 1st will be two years. So in the last two years, what has been your major focus for you as a CEO? So really, we've been focusing on growing this business internationally. We've really focused on uh, finding partners around the world to expand the Fred Siegel brand in their territories. And that's exactly what we've been doing. So we've been working with partners around the world to bring Fred Siegel um, in their own way to those countries. And we have some pretty big announcements coming up in the next week, but we're opening five stores this fall in territories around the world. And those are, will be all company operated? Those are going to be licensed stores. Licensed so we're, stores. we're partnering with local operators. So how do you go about to find out which company would be a good fit? Because at the end of the day, you'll be able to find a company who has a lot of experience, but Fred Seagull has a very unique aspect in branding attached to that as well. 
And one of the things about licensing is that, and one of the ways that we've built it up here is that we really keep a lot of uh, close to heart that the branding and the, the merchandising. So our merchandisers and our buyers, our branding people here um, control that with the, the local operator. So we we provide all of our branding and our merchandising programming to them. We go to market with them. We spend time with them, making sure the stores look like our stores, that they feel like our stores, and that they carry the same merchandise that our stores in LA carry. The interesting thing about the company, and Fratsuk has had this for quite some time, there's almost uh, myths around it. It's a very special thing. How can you, as an executive, and your new partners can replicate that? Well, I think that that's really the challenge. So it's it's how do you take the special thing that we've created here for 57 years and take that brand ethos and put it into another country and that's what we're exactly what we're doing. So it's it's a little bit about the product in the store, but it's more about the feeling you get in the store. So it's the music that's played, the culture of the employees, the the people who shop there and that's exactly what we work on every day is to export that kind of feeling that you get here um, around the world. There's a lot of pressure and expectations in retail. What are the things that you do to make sure that you don't get overwhelmed? Oh, that's a really good question. So I try not to think minute by minute. And one of the ways, you know, on my phone, I have an app that lets me see store sales. And I used to check it hourly, you know, every couple hours, all day long, every day, uh, from the time I woke up in the morning to the time I went to bed at night. And what I really try to do, and I tell my employees this too, is we can't think of sales as you know so reactionary. We have to really think big picture, long term. So it's not hour by hour, day by day, week by week, even month by month. We need to think season by season, year by year, and long term trends. And it's a challenge for me too, because I'm very into the minutia of the business. And so I think the way, the best way I've found to handle it is really try to 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 think about it from a strategic point of view rather than a in the weeds point of view. And it is challenging. I definitely, I, I get too in the weeds sometimes too, but that's what I try. I try to focus more on the strategic vision of retail. So LA is such a hub for fashion and luxury brands. And Fred Siegel is also competing with other online companies. How do you set yourself apart? The only way we can set ourselves apart because everybody has really cool brands. There's a lot of stores in Los Angeles that have great brands that have access to great product. The only way we can set ourselves apart is the experience. So it's how you feel when you come into the store. It's who you see, what you try on, what you feel, what you listen to, what you touch. Um, and I think that we do that better than almost anyone. And we built our new flagship store on Sunset Boulevard, opened last September. And the feedback we've heard is exactly that, that the food is is better than anywhere else you eat. There's an a restaurant we opened called Tess that just opened a few weeks ago that the food is, you know, out of this world, that the drinks we serve when we do parties are better than anybody else's drinks, that when you walk in, you hear music that just reminds you of a really fun time from your childhood or a, or a, a time from when you did something that the music like resonates with people. And then when you are in the store, there's product all over for you to touch and feel and try on and play with. Um, it's an extremely experiential store um, from the lighting to the fi fixtures the people in there. And I think that we were able to do that better than most. I think that's really what sets us apart. A lot of brands has been focusing customization these days. Is that something that you're looking at and you've been able to offer? I think customization is important. We have done customization in the store. We've had a couple partnerships with people who have done 
very customized things, whether it's customizing some skincare or customizing a jacket, customizing a t-shirt with patches and things like that. But more than customization, I think is also exclusive products. So it's finding things that you can't find anywhere else. Um, and I think that that kind of ties into the customization piece, which is I have something that nobody else has. And I think that that is either, albeit through customization or exclusivity, uh, something that is quite important to us. More than ever, fashion brands have the opportunity to expose themselves via social media. How focused are you and your team to make sure that you are spotting those up-and-coming brands before everybody else? That We're very focused on that. That is something we always try to do. We will always... We'll look at anything that comes towards us. We are always out there sniffing the marketplace for the next best brand. I always tell my team whenever there's an issue with a line or people are fighting over a line, you know, there's always the next best line out there and the next best line might be the best line you've ever seen. So I always take a meeting. I never tell anybody no. You know, we have to keep, you know, in my career, we I found a lot of um, the buyers that I've worked with have found things that have just walked in the door. And so I think keeping an open mind to things when they come in is important and finding the next best thing is, is really important too. So what is Fred Siegel looking in a brand? Would be, um, is the line broad enough? Does it have a, a full enough range that it's intriguing to people? I think we often get approached by, by people who come with one product or literally like one shirt, one jacket. And that's a little difficult for us to sell. It has to tell a collective story. Uh, the second would be, um, the product quality, obviously, you know, we're a high-end retailer, so it has to be at a, a quality uh, level, level that works for us. And um, the, the third would be, is it intriguing? Is it interesting? And is it not sold widely? Once it, for us, once it's sold into a broader retailer, you know, a, a Nordstrom or a Bloomingdale's, which are fantastic retailers, um, it doesn't work for us. So for us, it has to be a very narrow distribution um, if any, we'll, we're, we're happy to look at lines where we're the first point of distribution, but um, narrow distribution, high quality, and um, a, a breadth of product. What are some of the common mistakes that you see with new brands that try to make it to the marketplace? I mean, I think it, it falls into the opposite category where the product is not well done, where the sample, the product that comes in does not match the samples where they don't tell a cohesive story. It's one random product and the rest of the products in the line don't fit the same story. Um, and then it is selling to uh, retailers that, that don't really work for us. So, you know, it, they're hard to find the right lines. Um, we have really, really good merchandisers on our team who do a great job at it. Uh, but, but that's also, I think, what part of the, the fun of the business is too. Do you have an example of a brand that turned out to be a great partner? Well, I can tell you we have a brand in the store right now called Libertine, which is not a brand new brand, but we picked them up. Uh, we, we have the largest collection of the brand anywhere in the world. And it's a brand that's extremely bespoke. It's very, um, it's highly designed, very beaded and, and really interesting and very high price point. And because we have this collection of it in the store where you can't really find it anywhere else, um, and it tells a very interesting story, it's been extremely successful for us. So it's a line that really we um, we're really thriving with right now, you know, and I, I don't get super involved day to day in the selection of the lines. In fact, I really don't at all. I, but my team, and one of the things I look for on my team is just to keep an open mind and to have a wider perspective than your own taste. So everybody has their own taste level of what they like, but I always say, you know, put your own taste aside. And is this something that our customer wants and, and understanding your customer is key as well. How important is to have a strong team for a company? I almost feel like that's really the definition of a successful company if you have the right people surrounding you. 
No, I think, I think it's all about the team. It starts and ends with the team. I think uh, I always say there's fit and there's ability. And so you can have an employee who's a really good worker and who actually really gets the job well, but they also have to fit into the corporate culture and the team. And then we have employees who fit into the team really well, but they don't do the work as well. And you have to have both to be successful, but um, finding a team that works is, is crucial. Retail is notorious for having high employment turnover. Is that an issue for Fred Sigma as well? So obviously we have corporate turnover and store turnover. And I'm actually happy to say that we we actually have lower than average turnover. I would say quite low for a retail store. I'm used to having quite a bit of turnover in retail stores um, throughout my time where I've worked at other places. Um, our store has had very, very little turnover. In fact, our core retail staff that we opened the store with last September is all still there. Um, include, I think almost everybody's still there. And it's almost a year that the store has been open. So we're very happy about that. But retail turnover happens all the time because it is not an incredibly high paying field. And it is very demanding. I mean, the hours are long, you're on your feet. Um, one of the things that we have going for us is, like I said, we, we have such a great experience when you're in there that the store is fun. And I think people like to be at work in there because they like the team and they like the feel on the floor. You know, we're a collection of shop and shops. So most of the store, we don't actually own their shop and shops that work with us. And most of the inventory we don't own. So we have a whole collection of uh, people who work in the center in these shop and shops um, that are not Fred Siegel employees, but are part of our Fred Siegel team. And because there's so many employees in the building, it just creates a culture that I think everybody loves being there. It's, it's a really a fun place to be. I like to work. I don't work from the store, but I, I love to go and visit because I, I think it's a really fun place to be for both our customer, but also our employee. And, you know, along with that fun does come business responsibility. It is a business first and foremost. And our store director has done a pretty good job of making sure that everybody understands that we can have fun on the floor. We can go out together and we can socialize, but first and foremost, we're there to service the customer. With the background, and the involvement with eBay, was that a, some sort of expectation for you to help Fred Siegel to launch a e-commerce website? It's interesting you say that because we actually have not been focused on e-commerce at all. Um, like I said, we're a 57-year-old brand, but have done very, very little online. Um, and we can talk about social media as well. But when I started here almost two years ago, we had a, just a shell of a website with really no e-commerce business. I am focused on growing it um, to become a, a more robust site. It's not our primary focus right now. I think to primarily focus on e-commerce, you have to really dedicate yourself to that. There's so many people who do it so well. I think it's a huge opportunity for us, uh, but it's not our focus in the next 12 months. So you just mentioned social media. How has that impacted your business? Well, that's something we've, we've struggled with a little bit because when I came on board, we really weren't doing much social media. And we knew that when we launched our new flagship store, we would really have to, to amp it up. And I've kind of had a love-hate relationship with social media for the last five or six years, because I think it's very valuable. But I also think it's a little bit overhyped sometimes, especially for our customer who comes to the store to experience things. And so you want your, your social media to reflect what you have in the store and reflect your brand ethos. But I don't think it's the be-all, end-all of retail sales right now. At least it hasn't been for us. But I do think it's critical to, to, excite, the, to excite our fans. And we have our fan and our customer is online and they are on social media. And so we definitely need to engage with them. And we, it's always a struggle to offer them content that is really engaging. It's not just about showing a picture of a palm tree. It's, it's like, what do we put on social media that's so engaging to them that they 
want to see what we post. And I think we're doing a much better job of that than we did even six months ago. And we're consistently growing our follower base. And what we really like to use social media for, and I, I find it very helpful too, is when we do events in the store, which we do all the time, social media is a good way to announce what we're doing, to get people to come, to excite them, and to to kind of engage them that way as well. well I think where we haven't done it as as good a job yet is engaging them to shop on social media. And I'm not sure that any company has done a fantastic job at this yet, but I think when people are on Instagram and they are on Facebook, they're they're struggling right now to figure out like, well, how do I go and turn that into actual dollars for sales? And we are just starting down that path. I'm excited to see the potential for that. So it's not so much about generating sales, which could become a possibility in the future, but more enhance the experience that Fred Sigu is known for. That's exactly right. That's exactly how we're looking at it right now. I do think there's a huge opportunity for creating sales on social media, but I think right now we're focused much more on engaging our our community and um, informing them and engaging them and bringing them into the experience. What's the most challenging thing about your job? I think for me, the most challenging thing is to keep everybody focused. And so there's so many good opportunities out there right now. And there's so many things that we could be doing. There's so many partners that we want to work with. And there's so many amazing, you know, projects and opportunities out there. And it's figuring out which are the right ones and keeping everybody. We have a very small corporate team. And so it's keeping everybody super focused on what we need to be doing and um, keeping kind of our, our eyes on the ball. And that is always a challenge. And then of course, there's the daily fires and, and things like that to put out. Um, so staying focused and um, thinking big picture is always is a challenge for me. Your managing style and ability to be focused, is that personality trait or something that you develop over time? I think it's, I actually would give myself a little credit that I, I tend to be a fairly detail-oriented, focused person. I, I think I actually would like to spend more time and set more time apart to actually do more strategy and think bigger picture about the business than I'm able to, because I am quite, I think I'm a good operator. I think I'm, I'm focused on operating. I think I've been in the operations role for the last 15 years of my career. And so I think what I'm, well, one of my strengths is, is operating. Um, and I think that actually I could use a little more strategic focus, but I think keeping the team focused on the operations right now is where I'm trying to, is where I'm trying to get everybody to go. So between work and family. What's your daily routine? So my routine, it kind of starts and ends the same way. It's, it's almost like a circle. I always say it goes email, kids, work, kids, email. So it starts and ends with email. Then it goes into kids and works in the middle. So I, I, I start the day every morning with email. I'll wake up early. I do some email before I get the kids up or before we start our morning routine with school. Um, I get the kids off to school and... Um, and I get, and I head into the office and then I do work and we work all day. We try to keep our office hours pretty stable in here. I don't, you know, I don't like my team working 50, you know, 85 hours a week. I don't think that sets a good culture. I try to keep everybody pretty focused when we're here, we're working, but I do think that having people in the office, you know, at the same time is important. It creates efficiency. Um, and then after work, it's back to kids. And then after kids, it's back to email. So, you know, it is a, and then, you know, I do a last check at the end of the day on the email as well. So I, um, you know, it's, I, I like to compartmentalize. I think that that helps me a lot. I'm very efficient. Um, I think that's probably one of my best strengths. I have lots of weaknesses, but probably one of my best strengths is that I'm extremely efficient. I actually keep like a pretty clean inbox. 
uh, very few emails. I respond to everybody within, you know, I try a couple hours, but one day at the late at the most. Um, and um, I think that the routine that I've set up works pretty well with that. Yeah. At the end of the day, you can have plans and goals all day long. If you don't act on it, not going to happen. Exactly. Also, I'm sure you do some of the hiring for the top executives and the top members of your team. What are you looking for when you're hiring somebody? We have a pretty lean focused team, but we are always, you know, we're, we're occasionally hiring high level people. And when I do hire, one of the things I really look for is in addition to experience, I think experience in a similar type of environment is very important. So if you're in an entrepreneurial environment, I want to make sure somebody can work in an entrepreneurial environment. If you're in much more of a um, corporate environment, I want to make sure that you can fit into that kind of corporate feel. But really, I look for passion. So it's somebody who is excited about the brand, who understands the brand and who wants to see the brand grow. And I think that those two things, um, I, a lot of the job you can learn on the job. I, obviously, I need somebody who's intelligent and hardworking. Those are just givens. But I really think that um, previous experience and then passion are the two things that I look for the most. And also, do I want to stay all day working with this person? Because we do have a very small office and we're in close quarters. And I want to make sure it's somebody who I want to be with and, and talk to. And I can see myself not just on a work basis, but on a personal level being with for a long period of time. I think it was Tom Ford that said that he will not hire someone he wouldn't want it to invite to a dinner party. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we need to be friends. We don't need to be friends with everybody we work with. But outside of my children and my husband, the people I spend the most amount of time in my life with are my work peers. So I want to make sure that we're enjoying each other. And we can disagree. Uh, you know, we have a, a um, our president, John Frierson, who's an amazing guy. We talk all the time that You know, we agree on like 95% of the business and the things that we don't agree on, we disagree kindly. So when we don't agree, it's always respectfully. And I think that like, we don't have to agree with everybody we work with, but it has to be done and you have to be able to work with them in a way that respects each other. So as you mentioned, we're going to have a couple of announcements coming up soon and uh, taking the brand overseas. What about the U.S.? Are you planning to open more locations here in the U.S. as well? Well, we have a store opening up in Malibu um, early next year that's in collaboration with our a women's store on Sunset called Maris Collective. And Maris will be taking the um, store in Malibu and turning it into an experience there. And they're um, probably going to partner with some of our other stores on Sunset, some of our other little shopping shops. That's a smaller store than our flagship store, but I think it will be a really nice addition to the community up there. Uh, Fred Siegel was one of the first founders of Malibu. In fact, Fred, the person, was one of the first people to found the Malibu Country Mart. And It's nice to go back to our roots there. So that's our short-term domestic expansion plan. But we are going to look strategically at a few other locations in the U.S. Um, most of our expansion will be international. Are you a believer in the pop-up format? I, I think that pop-up strategy is really interesting. And I think it works really well for people who manufacture their own product because they have a lot more fluidity. As Since we're a retailer and we're actually more of a shop-and-shop -shop model with some retailing you know, that we own the inventory as well, it doesn't work as well for us because of the planning that's involved with it. So I don't think we're, we're really looking at the pop-up model for the next 12 to 18 months. For us, we're going to focus more on long-term. Do you guys do have a, your own uh, brand, right? Is that Fred Siegel Originals? We do. We have our own line called Fred Siegel Originals that we sell both online and in our stores. Uh, we love that line. It's really fun for us to make. I think customers really engage with it. Most of it is a logo product, but there's actually quite a bit of it that's not. And um, it's one of the things I love the most about the job. We love working on that line. From everything you're telling me, your responsibility is about to triple in the next few months. 
<laughs> we have a lot of work on our plate. We definitely, our team has a lot of work on their plates and um, it's, we're all excited about it. It's daunting, but it's incredibly exciting. We really have a lot going on. And I think just to see what we've kind of moved the brand in the last two years, how much we've moved it forward and then how much opportunity there is, is, is very exciting for all of us. Daunting, but exciting. One thing that I noticed talking to a lot of people in the high level position is that they enjoy the work they do, but they also have this ability to manage stress. How do you do that? It's funny you say that because I think I have the ability to handle a lot of work really well. I don't think that I actually handle stress as well as I should. And I agree that most high level executives do handle stress really well. Um, I, For me, exercise helps. So I try to exercise when I get really stressed. Um, I try to be more efficient so it doesn't start to overwhelm me in terms of the workload. But when there's business challenges that are very stressful, I, I try to like just go outside for five minutes and just take a breath and think through it. Um, I try to put it in perspective. Sometimes it seems like decisions that need to be made are earth shattering, life shattering. And I learned at my very first job at Deloitte, um, we were about to go on vacation and um, we messed up on a project and they needed us to represent it to the CEO. And I remember getting really upset and telling the partner, oh, I can't go on my vacation now. And what am I going to do? We have to represent. And he looked at me and he was like, guess what? Like, it was actually a big project for Sears at the time. This is 25 years ago. And he said, Sears will still open tomorrow, whether you're there or not. And I think it was a little humbling. I was really young. I think I was 22 years old at the time. But I think what I kind of realized is like the, the sun will still rise tomorrow and the moon will still still set. And that um, that while obviously these decisions are important and they're critical, life will still go on. And so putting some perspective around it has helped with stress as well. If you had the opportunity to go back in time, what would you tell your younger self? Well, I think I've got the message told to me pretty clearly. I mean, I'll never forget it because I remember sitting there and and the partner basically saying like your contributions are super important, but like nothing happens because of one person. And so I think what I would tell myself is don't stress as much. I worked really hard in my 20s and um lots of all-nighters and really I had a really strong work ethic and I think I still do. But um but I think I would tell myself, like, it's all going to be okay later on. Uh, but I do think one of the things that we constantly talk about with millennials and the younger generation is that hard work is important too. You have to put in, I, I don't want to say your dues because I don't believe in that, but I do think you have to put in the hard work uh, for it to come out on the back end later on. Yeah, I was just about to bring that up. Besides the hard work you just mentioned, you also, you worked for some company for many years in these days. seems like people don't really stick around much longer. When you look at somebody's resume, how important is the fact that they have been with the company for a few years? Well, I definitely think it can kind of go either way. But one thing I don't like to see and one thing I do think happens a lot nowadays is people leaving jobs 12 months in. And I don't think that you really can get everything you can get out of a job or learn the, the company in, in a year. So when I see people who have had five or six years of experience at five or six companies, it raises a red flag to me uh, because I want to know why. Like, are you getting, do you get bored really easily? Can you not fit in with people? I, I think I like to see people who have stayed at least three or four years at a company and really grown, at least had one promotion with them. For me, you know, I see that the last job I was in for 11 years because I really loved it and it worked for me. And um, I, I, I can't say I was completely challenged all the years that I was there. But when I wasn't, it was because there was something else going on in my life that was really important for me as well. And it worked for everybody involved, including my employer. So 
I, I'm okay with people staying at a company for a very long time, but I, I think that there's, it has to work for everyone. And what I do think we see a lot these days are, are people just switching companies to get ahead, to get the next promotion. And to me, that raises a flag. I, I, I'm not a, a huge fan of that. So many retailers are trying to be ahead of the game. What are the main changes that you see in the next few years? Well, I think there's probably two. So one is um, direct to consumer. So, and I think that might be broader than just going online and clicking and buying. I, I think there's a model where the consumer wants things quickly and easily. And I don't think Fred Siegel is entirely focused on that yet. I, and I don't know that we necessarily need to be, but I think that retail industry in general is going to shift there a little bit. So uh, I think we've already seen it. So I think if you're an undifferentiated multi-brand retailer or a single brand retailer at a general mall, I think that's going to be challenging for you. Um, and I think we've seen that with the retail apocalypse, as they call it, or these mall stores that are going out of business that aren't differentiated. I think the direct-to-consumer and the Amazons of the world are going to impact them greatly. Um, and then I think that exclusive product also is, is going to change the shape of the fashion and the retail industry. We see these drops and Fred Siegel does drops. We just did one with Polo, sold out in two days. Um, we, you see it with the line around the corner in LA at, at some of the sneaker places and these exclusive products that kind of hit for a minute and then are gone. I think that's an interesting phenomenon that we're seeing in retail as well. Awesome. Thanks so much for sharing your story. Give us some tips and an inside look in the world of Fred Siegel. Really, really, really appreciate it. It was such a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, Alison Samick. Hey everyone, make sure to like, comment, and let us know what you think. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.